Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 62, Why I Sold My A7S III. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, I want to thank you for listening. Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. We have been uh, doing this podcast for three something years now, I think three years now. So we've got a lot of episodes you can go back and listen to if you're new. Uh, we cover a lot of different topics on this podcast from uh, business and contracts and how to get clients to uh, how to price your work. We talk about storyboarding. We talk about editing. We talk about camera gear. We talk about it all. And we also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh that you can join. Just go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. And I'll be sure to approve your request when I see it. And uh, in that Facebook group, we basically talk about the same type of things just as a as a group collectively. So it's a really fun uh, group to be a part of. And hopefully you'll learn from this podcast. I, I tend to think my podcast is a little bit more toward people who are wanting to be um, professionals or who are professionals in this industry um, and less of a beginner's podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for a beginner's podcast, this is not for you. Um, but if you're wanting to really learn a lot about video, then listen in. Uh, today, I want to talk about why I sold my A7S III. And before I get into that, I want to make a uh, full disclosure that <laughs> um, I am recording this from my home office today and my neighbor's getting a bunch of work done in their house and also my baby's in the living room. So you may hear some random noises and if you do, that's what it is. So full disclosure, sorry, but it is what it is. <laughs> so let's get into the podcast of why I sold my A7S III. If you know anything about me, you know that I am a Sony shooter and have been for a long time. I don't care about brands. I only shoot with Sony because their equipment works with my workflow really well. And I've been working with them for so long that I know their cameras inside and out, and that's what I'm comfortable with. So that's why I shoot with Sony. Um, it, it doesn't matter what camera um, brand that you like or anything like that, because I don't really care. I just work with what works with me. And the A7S line has been a great line for me over the years. I got an A7S Gen 1 the day it was released in the United States. It was an early adopter to that camera. And I ran it for a long time. And I was blown away by its low light qualities. I was blown away by um, the overall aesthetic of the image. It was a huge jump forward from Sony's previous cameras. They ran uh, what was called SLTs. They weren't really DSLRs. They were kind of like DSLRs, except for the mirror was translucent hence the T part of SLT, single lens translucent. I ran SLTs for a long time before I got the A7S Gen 1 when it came out. Um, so whenever the A7S came out, it had a different aesthetic quality to it that the SLT cameras that Sony made did, did not have. And it was just a huge jump in image quality in my, in my opinion. And I was really blown away by that. Ran it for years until the A7S 2 came out and I picked up one of those. Took everything I liked about the A7S and improved upon it. Gave it internal 4K, gave it IBIS, um, gave it even better low light performance and a more usable log because the, um, log, uh, base ISO moved from 3200 to 16 on the S2. So it was more usable. So it was a great camera. And still today, I mean, I got the A7S2 back in like, I don't know, it was like 2016 or something like that. And still today, I pull from shots I have on file for projects because I, I reuse, I keep all my files. And so I'll go and reuse shots from six years ago 
off the a7s2 today i'll still do that even though it was an 8-bit 420 low bit rate camera and the reason is because i still think the images look great off that camera um, and i've even told a lot of people that are getting into video that if you don't need the latest and greatest and you want to save some money find yourself a used a7s2 for next to nothing online and get your hands on it because it's still today an amazing camera it won't have the autofocus we have today and it won't have the the bit rates and the color depth and the things that we have today, but it still looks really good um, even today. So I think the A7S line has been an awesome line for Sony over the years. When the A7S III came out, I was elated. I was really excited to get my hands on a camera that finally had everything I was looking for in the A7S line. Um, the A7S line for me was always a B-cam line. Um, I've always ran cameras like the FS7, FS7 II, I now have an FX6. So the A7S line has always been a B-cam line for me. Um, but the one, the one weakness that the A7S line had was the bit rates and the codecs and the color depth could not match what I was getting in my A-cams with the FS7, FS7 II, FX6. When the A7S III came out, I was so excited because it finally could keep up with my FS7 Mark II that I had at the time. It had 10-bit 422 color. It had an XAVC I-type codec. It had healthy bit rates. It shot um, up 4K up to 120 frames per second. It was a camera that took everything I liked about the S-series, but gave it pro codecs and pro color depths and made it to where it could actually be able to be handled in the same manner that my A-cam could. And even better, because I, I, I was on several projects where I, I shot with the FS7 II and the A7S III, and I actually grabbed the S3 more than the FS7 II because I liked the files better. It was, it was a better camera. It shot better images. Obviously, they aren't the same type of camera. You know, the FS7 has got the NDs and the, and the audio inputs and all that, but the A7S III's image was just it was just better than the FS7. And so when I first got it, it kind of almost became my A-cam in a way. Um, whenever I could use it over the FS7, I did because the image was so spectacular on it. So I love the A7S3. And I've had mine for about a year and a half now. Um, I replaced my FS7 with an FX6. And so I ran an FX6 A7S3 combo for the last year. And it's been spectacular. I've been so happy with that combo. The thing about it, though, is in my work today and back in like several years ago when I started going more toward the commercial world, I started getting requests many years ago to add photography to my projects. I don't promote photography on my website other than one spot where my wife is on the website and it mentions that she's the photographer because she does a lot of photography um, for us. But other than that one little tiny spot, we don't advertise photography because if my elevator speech, like if you were to ask me what I do for a living, I would tell you that I own a video production company because that's my main focus. I, I do video for a living. But in today's world that we live in, we get asked all the time, if we can do photography in addition to video. And it's not every project, but a lot of the bigger projects I get want me to, like the clients want me to do both. Um, case in point, I'm on a project right now, or I'm getting ready to go to a project right now. It's a, it's a complete rebrand of this business. And it's literally several weeks worth of 
video and photography content. It's a complete rebrand, new website design. I'm working with a website company. We're going to build this whole new website for this, this business. And I'm doing all the imagery for it, all the, all the photography for the website. And we're doing like a branding film or brand video for the website, as well as uh, several individual videos that market um, individual services or individual offerings from this business. So it's a lot of video, but also a lot of photography. I would not have gotten this project if I wasn't able to also do the photography. It just is what it is. And, and so I, I don't market myself as a photographer, but if I don't offer photography to to clients for jobs like this, I would miss out. And this is a big job. And it's not the first job I, I've gotten like this. I've done several like these. And so over the years, over the last six or seven years, when I started doing more and more commercial work, I started getting asked to add photography more and more. And I don't do like... I don't do like wedding photos. I'm not in the wedding. If you're new to the podcast, I don't do weddings. I don't do real estate. Those aren't those aren't my worlds. Um, nothing wrong with those with those industries. It's just too competitive in my area, and I don't want to compete with that. So I don't do those things. I don't do family portraits. I don't do sports photography. I don't do anything like that. Um, any photography that I get asked to do is either business related uh, or it is hunting or fishing outfitter related because I do quite a bit of hunting and fisher, fish, uh, fishing uh, outfitter or guiding um, branding projects. So those are the types of photography that I get asked to do, business or hunting, fishing outfits. That's, those are the industries I play in. And a lot, again, a lot of those clients want me to be able to handle both. Well, the A7S line over the years has always been my main B cam to my whatever A cam I was running for video. But because it, the A7S line has always been a 12 megapixel stills camera, I've, I've always had to have a different body for shooting photography. So I always ran like an A7R2 or an A7R3. That way, I had the A7S for my main B cam for video, and then I had the A7R line for photography. And the A7R series always shot decent video, and I could use it for a C cam when needed. And that's worked for me over the years, but I consistently run into one problem with that with that setup, and that is that the a lot of these projects I get, I end up showing up with two camera two photo bodies two photo camera bodies and needing to shoot with an with a with two different photo bodies and two different lenses at the same time hunting outfits are a great example of this when i'm in alaska uh, in 2019 i went to alaska for example and I, I we chased brown and black bears for my client parker guide service for 3 weeks and then i went back in the fall and we did the same thing only for mountain goats and they've been a client of mine for a long time. I've already done a lot of branding video projects for them, but this was a photo side of the branding project. It's six weeks of photography in Alaska. And I needed to have two camera bodies for that, right? Two photo bodies, because when you're on a, a skiff boat and you're looking for brown bear, you need a camera with a long lens ready to go at all times, constantly, because you never know when you're going to see a bear. And you never know when you might see a moose or a sick of black-tailed deer or a whale or an eagle or a pack of wolves. And so you always have to have a camera with a long lens ready to go at all times. But you still need to be getting landscape shots, shots of people glassing, shots of people with rifles, shots of people hiking down beaches, shots of the skiff boats, all that stuff. And so if I'm going to have a camera that's always ready to go with a long lens, I need another camera that can 
take care of those photographs. So I would have a second camera body and it would have either 24 to 70 or 16 to 35, something like that on it. And that would be what I would use for getting all, all the other content. Well, if you think about it, back when I was running the A7R series, that's a 42 megapixel camera. The A7R2 and A7R3 were both 42 megapixels. My second camera was an A7S1 or A7S2, right? Those are 12 megapixel cameras. So my A cam is shooting 42 megapixel stills and my B cam is shooting 12. You get into post and that's kind of awkward, right? You're, you have all this crop room and, and everything else for your, your, your 42 megapixel photos, but then you go to your other photos and they're all 12 megapixels. <laughs> and it's, you just don't have the same flexibility. Now, I do want to say that 12 megapixels is still a lot. Like, it, it looks great. You can take a 12 megapixel still and you can print it and, and have a great print. I've sold lots of prints on Etsy from of lions and tigers and stuff that I shot over the years that were shot on the A7S line. And they look great. I think they print great. They look great. But if you need to crop it all, which in marketing, a lot of times, like like a, a web designer, when you hand them the stills for uh, a rebrand on a website, they're going to do their own cropping and whatnot because they want the the stills to be able to look exactly how they need them to look crop-wise for the web page, right? And when you're going to start cropping into a 12-megapixel still image, you're going to start to see some flaws. Another, another issue with that is outfitters specifically – well, and not even just outfitters, but other companies I work with, a lot of times they'll go to trade shows and they'll set up booths at trade shows. Hunting outfits do it, fishing outfits do it, and also some of the other businesses like uh, the industrial industries or home building industries that I do a lot of work in, they will have booths at different trade shows as well, like in industry trade shows. And they'll take a lot of these still images and they'll blow them up into huge banner ads. And 12 megapixels can certainly be used for a banner ad, but you do start to notice that you're kind of pushing it as far as it can go at that point. And I'm not saying that you can't use a, a 12 megapixel camera for a banner ad. You can. In fact, contrary to popular belief, you know, I, I hear this all the time. I need a large resolution camera for billboard ads. Well, first of all, how many of you are actually doing billboard ads? People say that all the time. It's like people who say, I need a Netflix approved camera. And you're like, why? And you're like, because I just in case. <laughs> like, dude, you don't work for Netflix. And if you did, if you got hired to do a Netflix original, like you would have a budget, you could get an, an, an Area Alexa Mini LT, like you can get whatever you want. <laughs> so like, I like I, I think I hear people, they say that all the time. And, and really, it doesn't matter. You don't need a Netflix approved camera. Like, I to me, like the only reason to have that is just to say you have it to your client, <laughs> you know, and, and by the same standards, most people are like, oh, I need a camera to with large resolution to print billboard ads, like 99.999% of you are never going to print a billboard ad. So you don't really need that. And second off, contrary to popular belief, billboard ads don't require a lot of megapixels because you're seeing them from a far distance. So you could take, you could shoot a billboard ad on a five megapixel camera if you wanted, because you're not going to see it up close. But when you're at a trade show, that's different at a trade show where a banner ad is blown up and people are going to see it pretty close, you can start to see the limits of 12 megapixels. So when I'm out doing these projects and I'm out shooting with two different cameras, for example, and one camera was giving me 42 megapixel images and the other is shooting 12, from a marketing perspective, it started to feel kind of odd, right? I've got huge resolution files on one hand and small resolution files on the other. And if I was handing these files at full resolution over to a client, like, like maybe to the client's marketing team, they're like, hey, how come some files are really big and some are kind of small? <laughs> and that's kind of hard to defend, right? And 
this doesn't just apply to the outdoor projects I do for hunting and fishing outfits. It also applies to regular regular marketing agencies or regular marketing projects for more normal companies. Um, A a rebrand I did a few years ago was for um, a a, a vet ophthalmologist in the Dallas-Fort Worth Plano area. The vet ophthalmology project I took on was a a complete rebrand. I worked with a web developer and we did a lot of photography and a lot of video for this um, vet ophthalmologist. And after I was done with the video portion of the project, I went up back up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to start the photo portion of the project. And I, same thing, I shot with two camera bodies because we're, I was photographing different surgeries and, and I was photographing, um, like vets looking in dogs eyes and scanning their eyes and stuff like that. And I, I really needed to work with two bodies in that uh, for projects like that, because I wanted to have like a wide lens ready to go so I can get nice wide environmental type shots of what's going on, but I needed a longer lens, like a 70 to 200 or an 85. So I could get in close and get tight shots of everything else that was happening. So even, even in those types of projects, I still am rocking two camera bodies. So you can start to see where if you have an, if your A7S is your type of camera, whether it's an S1, S2, S3, if it's your B cam in those situations, you can start to see how it would be kind of weird to have large resolution stills on one hand, um, one camera and small megapixel stills on the other. So because of this, I have been exploring other options. And last year, one of the cameras I purchased, I had an R3, and one of the cameras I purchased to replace the R3 was the Sony A1. Um, when the Sony A1 first was announced, I I thought it was a, an, an engineering marvel. Like I was really shocked at what Sony had came out with. I couldn't believe what all they put in the in the A1. But I never thought it was a camera that I necessarily needed. Um, but it's really funny because now I own two of them. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're going to go to this podcast. But the A1, when it came out, I was blown away because it could do everything that the A9, the R4, and the A7S could do, essentially. When you look at the A1, the a1 shoots photos faster than Sony's A9, which is Sony's was originally Sony's flagship sports and wildlife camera. It could shoot photos with higher quality than the A7R4. The A7R4 is Sony's flagship, or it was their flagship stills camera, um, but for for more like an not not for sports and wildlife, but for pure image quality. Uh, and it shot 61 megapixels, but the A1 had a better image. Now the A1 is less megapixels, it's 50 megapixels versus 61 on the R4, but it has much better low light performance and better color accuracy. So the A1 is outputting better quality images, even though it's 50 megapixels versus 61. Honestly, at that point, it's kind of the same thing. But even though it's slightly less megapixels, the images look better. So it's faster than the A9 with better image quality than the R4. And when you look at it compared to the A7S 3 it could do everything that the A7S 3 can do. The A7S 3 can do 4K up to 120 frames per second at 10-bit 4.2.2, so can the A1. The A7S 3 can shoot um, 240 frames per second in HD at 10-bit 4.2.2, so can the A1. The A7S 3 has S-Log 3S Gamut 3 dot Cine in addition to S-Cine Tone if you need to shoot in a baked-in profile, so can the A1, right? The A1 can do everything video-wise that the A7S 3 can do, plus 8K full frame at 10-bit 420, and plus Super 35 4K, which is a super nifty feature to have when filming wildlife, for example, because you can tap a button and now you're in 4K mode, but in with a Super 35 crop, 
which is extremely useful. And so the A1 does everything that the A7S 3 does, plus 8K, plus Super 35 4K, while being faster than the A9 and better image quality from stills than the A7R 4 It truly is the best camera that Sony makes from all standpoints. It, it genuinely is a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-all, which is very rare. And that's why it costs $6,500. People hear that price tag or they see that price tag and they think it's ridiculous. But when you look at it, it's, it's better than their three individual specific cameras and it's all in one body. It's kind of like get it. It's like when you buy it, it's like you're getting an A9, an R4, and an S3 all at the same time, only better. <laughs> so that's why it costs so much. But when it came out, I thought, I don't really need a camera like that. But last year, I was starting to see where my A7R3 was falling behind my A7S3 and my FX6. It couldn't keep up as a C cam because it was still shooting an 8-bit 420. I couldn't push the files the way that I could in the FX6 or the A7S3. I didn't even shoot an S-Log3 with it because it made me too nervous with the 8-bit codec, so I had to shoot an S-Log2, which meant I'm now trying to match S-Log2 files to my FX6 and A7S3's S-Log3 files, which was challenging. And it just felt slower and older in general, older autofocus, etc. I felt like the R3 just was kind of past its prime. And, and I, I just was at a point where I wanted to replace it with something newer. And when you started, when I started to look at what was newer on the market that could replace the R3 as a better stills and more modern stills camera, but that can hang with my FX6 and A7S3 as a video camera, there was really only one choice and that was the A1. So I went from thinking, I don't need an A1 to, eh, the A1 actually would be a really great replacement of the a7r3 it'd be the most money i've ever spent on a stills camera but i see the value so i bought one and replaced my r3 with it and i fell in love with the a1 it has quickly become one of my favorite cameras ever because it does everything really really well in fact you might could say well the a7s3 is better than low light so that's one thing it can't do but Actually, the A1's better in low light than the A7S3 up until 12,800 ISO. At 12,800 ISO, the A7S3 kicks into um, uh, its second gain circuit, and it the noise performance cleans up dramatically, and it looks great at 12,800. However, the the original base ISO is 640. So the jump from 640 to 12,800 is huge. So the in-between ISOs, like 3,200 and 6,400 and 8,000, for example, are actually kind of noisy on the A7S 3 Whereas on the A1, its two base ISOs are 800 and 4,000. And so it, it hits its second gain circuit way earlier than the A7S 3 does. And when you're at you know, 3,200, 6,400, 8,000, for example, it's actually quite a bit cleaner than the A7S 3 The only time the A7S 3 takes over um, low light performance-wise is when you hit 12,800. And then from there, it is better than the A1, and it does become an incredible low light machine. But how often, in, a, in real life, how often are you actually needing to hit 12,800, right? Most projects, you're going to need to bump an ISO, like, oh, it's a little darker, I've got my lens wide open, I need to go to 1600. The A1's better for that. It's better in low light at 1600, and it's better at 3200 and 4000 and 6400s, you know, the normal everyday ISOs. And even at 12800, the A1 still looks great and is still usable. So I started, you know, you start to think about it, it's like, yeah, the A7S3 is still technically better in low light at the extreme ends of the range, but the A1 is more realistic. And 
it's good in 12,800 and it's great at everything else. So it kind of almost from an everyday standpoint makes more sense. So the A7S III might be better at extreme low light, but the A1's better in everyday low light. So the A1, the more I started to use it, the more I started to see like this is truly one camera that can genuinely handle photography and video equally well. That really is a camera that doesn't really have many faults. It, and from that standpoint, I started to use the A7S three less and less because the A1 could handle double duty for me. I'd go on a project where I need to shoot uh, still images in addition to um, having a mirrorless camera for a B cam to my FX6, and the A1 actually becomes the a, the main B cam for me over the S3 now because I can shoot stills with it real fast, and then I can throw it on a gimbal and get similar quality performance as the S3 uh, for video with the same camera I just got through shooting stills with. And so I'm starting to use it more and more and more, you see. Plus, the A1's crop mode is so freaking useful. Let's take that gimbal, for example. If you are on a gimbal and you've got a 24 millimeter prime on, but you want to get a little bit more reach out of that lens, rather than have to take the lens off and put a, a 35 on and rebalance the whole camera on the gimbal, you could just tap crop mode and now you're shooting in 4K crop. And the crop mode's actually better than full frame for, mode for 4K because it's a it's downsampled from 5.8K. It looks amazing. So there's no punishment in going into crop mode. You actually get even better quality. So so you see what I'm saying? Like It's like the more I use the A1, the less I use the S3 because the A1 can do so much more. Plus, the A1 has features and things that A7S3 doesn't have, like variable shutter. That is so cool. You don't hear people talk about this, but the variable shutter speed in the A1 is awesome. Let's say, for example, and, and this is a real thing I ran into. Let's say, for example, you're shooting in a church. I shot in a church last year. I was doing a, uh, a branding project for a, a church, and I was filming us inside the worship hall um, during service, and I was, I was continually getting banning and flicker in my shots on the A7S III. And no anti-flicker mode or anything like that was able to fix it. So I ended up having to put the A7S III down and run the FX6 the whole time because the FX6 um, was able to get, I it has features in there that allowed me to be able to get rid of the banding. So the A7S III, I actually couldn't use it on that project. Well, the A1 has this nifty ability to dial in a variable shutter speed. So let's say you were shooting at 60 frames per second, 4K 60 in a church, because you wanted to get a slow motion shot of someone singing. You could, when you would pro there's a good chance you'll run into banding, right? Because your shutter speed is going to be at like what? One over 125 to be double your, your frame rate. And inside the church with the artificial lights, there's a good shot you're going to run into banding or flicker. Well, with the A1, you can turn on variable shutter speed and you can change your shutter from 1 over 125 to 1 over 125.3 or 1 over 125.5 or 1 over 125.7. You can literally dial in a decimal point, and those decimal points get rid of the flicker because you can go to the exact shutter speed position that you need to eliminate the flicker or banding completely. So huge. That's the difference between literally being able to use a camera and not being able to use it. I could not use the S3 for that project but I could use the A1. 
That's huge, right? The A1 also has a shutter that closes when you change lenses, whereas the S3 doesn't. That's great when you're out in, in environments where it's dusty and you're changing lenses. It prevents dust from getting on the sensor, right? The A1 has a top dial, top dial on the top left side of the camera where the A7S III does not. And that opens up um, uh, an, a specific area to have your drive modes and things like that. The A9 also has this. And that's really useful because now in photo mode, you don't have to have a custom button set to drive mode anymore. It frees up more custom buttons because you have a dedicated dial for those things. So now you have more custom button options and things like that. It's the little things like that that take the A1 and make it even better beyond all the specs that it has. So I just find myself using the A1 more and more and more. Well, back to the A7S III, I still love the A7S III. It's still a great B cam and I still use it a ton. But I have a, another project coming up. It's it's a it, again I, I mentioned it earlier. It's another rebrand, and I just simply don't want to show up on this project and shoot 50 megapixel stills on one camera and 12 on the other. I'm tired of doing that, and I don't have to anymore because there is a camera out there that can shoot high resolution stills and be just as good at video as the A7S III, and that is the A1. And so for me, I have decided that as much as I love the A7S line, and as much as I love the A7S III, because I'm getting asked to do photo and video in, in a lot of these big rebrand projects, and because I typically need to shoot with two photo bodies, it really makes more sense to own two A1s, where I can do the photo portion of the project with two identical matching camera bodies that are both racking out 50 megapixel stills at 30 frames per second if needed, but then when I'm ready for the video portion, I can just spin a button and now I'm at end of video. And, and they cut amazingly well with the FX6. And so to me, that made more sense. Now you could make the argument, why just not buy an A7 IV? Well, the truth is I don't really like the A7 IV. I'm not interested in it. I live in Texas. It gets hot here. The A7 IV is known for overheating. I've had bad experiences with cameras that overheat in the past. I don't want to touch the A7 IV because of that reason. Plus the A7 IV um, has some uh, rolling shutter issues that the A1 and the A7S III don't have. So rather than buy the A7 IV, which I think would be a letdown and a step backward in video department, I would rather get rid of the S3 and replace it with a camera that can do everything the S3 could already do, but then also have 8K and Super 35 4K and have all the amazing still qualities of the A1. And so 2A1 started to make a lot of sense for me. I can show up for a project where I've got to do a rebrand. I can use the FX6 and 2A1s to knock out that project video-wise, and then I can set down the FX6 and spin the dials to photo mode and get to work on the photo side of the project with the A1s. And that, to me, makes an awful lot of sense. The only problem with the A1... And I do want to mention this because the A1 isn't perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect camera. There's one flaw in the entire camera. Only one. I've only found one flaw. Because genuinely, like I said, it's better in low light than the S3 up until 12,800. It's faster than the A9 and it has better image quality than the R4. All of those are real things. It has all the extra top buttons and variable shutters and shutters that close when you change lenses. All of those things are great. The camera's amazing from so many standpoints. There's just one flaw in the whole camera that I found. And that is that in full frame 4K, 
the camera has to pixel bend in order to, to create the full full frame 4K. Because the sensor, the sensor is actually an 8.6K sensor. So when you shoot 8K, it's down sampling the 8.6K to 8K, which is incredible. So the 8K is phenomenal on this camera. And when you shoot in Super 35 4K, it's cropping in on that 8.6K sensor and is taking a 5.8K um a 5.8k ver uh, portion of the sensor and downsampling that to 4k and that too looks amazing but when you're working in full frame 4k the a sony on the a1 rather than try to downsample 8.6k to 4k which could lead to overheating problems which is what you see in the canon r5 eos r5 sony instead did a two by two pixel bin and because of that, the image quality is still phenomenal. When, like Gerald Undone pointed this out, when you look at the pixel bend full frame 4K on the A1 side by side with the A7S III's pixel bend full frame 4K, you, you can't really see a difference. The image quality is pretty much indistinguishable from a sharpness standpoint, which is amazing because think about it, the, the A1 to achieve full frame 4K is having to pixel bend to do it. Whereas the A7S III is a native for, 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 for full frame 4K camera. So in theory, the A7S III should have much better 4K image quality at full frame than the A1's downsampled full frame 4K. But in real life, Sony's 2x2 two two pixel bin on the A1 looks amazing. So the 4K full frame footage that's pixel bin on the A1 honestly looks indistinguishable from the A7S III. And so, and, and I can back up Gerald's statements because he showed it on charts and newspaper clippings and things like that where you can look for yourself. But I've worked with the A7S III and A1 for a while now. And I'm telling you, if you look between the footage on the A7S III and the A1, uh, when the A1 shot in pixel bend mode, you can't see the difference. It looks exactly the same to me. The only flaw is that when you're shooting in full frame 4K, which is pixel bend, it's not softer than the S3 or anything like that. It looks every bit as good as the S3. In fact, even better in some ways because it's the A1's more color accurate. I actually think the full frame 4K is more is, is actually prettier than the A7S3 on the A1 because it's more color accurate. But the flaw is pixel bending creates uh, an image that's more susceptible to getting aliasing or more. If you're not sure what that is, um, you've probably seen on TV before, or maybe in your own cameras where maybe you're shooting an interview and someone's wearing a, a, a shirt that's got a lot of fine stripes on it, and you might see that kind of color wavy rainbow pattern. That's aliasing and moray. Well, aliasing is, moray is a type of aliasing, but people come and refer to it aliasing or moray. But that's essentially what you're seeing, right? Moray is a type of aliasing. And pixel bending makes a camera more susceptible to potentially seeing that. I've only seen two shots off the A1 where I've noticed some aliasing. One was on a pair of blue jeans on a construction manager that I shot for a project for LGI Homes uh, earlier this year. And um, another was uh, a test shot I was doing, trying, I was looking for pixel bending. I was going to, uh, for aliasing, I was going to see if I could find it. And I, I was shooting uh, shots of my wife at 4K 120 in the kitchen, um, scrubbing uh, some dishes. And I could on the faucet sink barely see a little bit of aliasing. So it is, 
it is something that you have to be aware of if you're going to shoot in full frame 4K in the A1, but it's it's only noticed if you're shooting something that's got a ton of fine lines or, or fine repeatable patterns. And even then, I'm telling you in the six or six months or eight months or whatever it's been since I bought the A1, I've only seen it twice. And one time I was, I was out shooting looking for it. So it's not much of a problem, but it is something that you don't really have to think about with the S3 that you do have to be aware of on the A1. And that is the only flaw on the whole camera. And if you think about it, for that to be the only flaw, that's pretty freaking remarkable. And that tells you so much about the A1. And if you do see it in a shot for some reason, like I did on the pair of jeans, there are workarounds. You can jump into Super 35 4K mode and just shoot in Super 35 4K for that shot. That gets rid of it. Or you can shoot in 8K. And a word on the 8K, you might think, that 8K sounds crazy. Oh, I, I don't need 8K. That's ridiculous. Well, 8K, let me tell you, is amazing. Um, I don't I don't produce or output 8K files, but I love on the A1 the ability to take the 8K file and downscale it to 4K in post because it looks amazing. So if you do, if you are shooting, let's say, an interview and someone's wearing a fine striped shirt, which by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, if you are doing interviews with people, I highly suggest that you just in general as a rule of thumb, don't let people show up with with fine repeating patterns on their clothes. But let's just say you are shooting an interview and you had no control over that and someone shows up and has a shirt that might have fine repeating patterns. You can just jump into 8K mode and you'll get an even sharper, even better image than, than the A1 can produce full frame 4K or than the S3 can produce full frame 4K or the FX6 for that matter because it's 8K and you're downscaling to 4K. So if you do see it in a shot, you can shoot in Super 35 4K or you can shoot in 8K and downscale it in post and you'll you'll get rid of that problem and you'll get a sharper, better image that's still 10-bit. And it's 10-bit 420, not 10-bit 422, but... It doesn't matter because you're getting more color information because it's 8K. So by the time you downscale to 4K, um, you're getting just as much, if not more, color information than 10-bit 422 would get. So 10-bit 420 is not an issue with the A1. And you might think, well, Josh, my computer can't handle 8K and the file sizes are going to be enormous. Well, actually, the file sizes are really manageable. 4K60 eats up more data than 8K. I can shoot on the A1. I can shoot 8K on the A1 and fit almost an hour's worth of footage on a single 160 gigabyte card. And because my my hard drives are either um, SSDs or RAID drives, I could dump that whole hour's worth of 8K footage in five minutes because the cards are so fast. So you could shoot an hour, almost an hour's worth of footage to a single 160 gigabyte cards. If you have one in the top slot and one in the bottom slot, that's almost two hours of 8K content. And you don't even have to have CF Express Type A cards to shoot in 8K. You can shoot them to V90 SD cards. And I think I read you can even shoot them. I've never tried this, but I think you can even shoot them to V60 SD cards. So it doesn't cost you really much money to shoot to 8K because you don't have to have a super fast card to do it on the A1. And again, it's only at 400 meg bits per second so the file sizes are not they're not even as big as 4k 60 which is 600 megabits per second if you're shooting xavci um, so the file sizes are really manageable and if you're worried about your computer's com- performance you can simply on the a1 there's a proxy setting so you can just turn on proxies and just record proxies at the same time that you're recording the 8k file it'll just be in a subfolder so in post just work with when you drag your clips on the pro- timeline use the proxies and then when you're ready to color grade and export save that for the end and then swap your proxies out for the 8k file and boom there you go now you have incredible 4k so 
the 8K is extremely usable, and, and you don't just have to use it to downscale to 4K for Supreme 4K. You can also use it um, to crop in on a shot. You know, if you're filming a, a wildlife shot of, let's say, a deer and you want to get much closer, shoot an 8K. And if you want to get really close, if you're working with an HD project, shoot that deer in 8K and crop into that in post. That is an enormous amount of crop room. So the 8K is very usable today, and it's editable thanks to the proxies. So I think it's a very usable mode and is a great feature to have on the A1. And I find myself using it more and more when I'm doing like detail shots of say a room inside uh, a building and uh, maybe we're showing this room off and we want to really be able to see the details. Shoot that bad boy in 8K, downscale to 4K and, and the amount of detail in it is just insane. So yes, the A1 does have one flaw, and that is that it is susceptible to aliasing or more A in full frame 4K. But again, in the time that I've had the A1, I've only seen it twice and only once on an actual page shoot. And even then, again, there are workarounds. If you see it, go to full frame or super 35 4K or go to 8K and just work around it. And so that's it. That's the only flaw on the whole camera. So if you buy it, an A1, you really are getting a, a jack of all trades and master of all as well with only one flaw in the whole entire camera. It's truly remarkable. And so for me, as much as I loved my A7S III, because I continue to get these photo video marketing projects where I'm required to do both, it really made sense to have two cameras that are equally as good at video as they are as stills. That way, I'm not shooting 50 megapixels on one camera and 12 on the other. No, I can shoot 50 megapixels on both cameras and then switch over and shoot 4K up to 120 or, or 8K up to 30 frames uh, on the same cameras. And that is why, ultimately, I got rid of my A7S III and why I bought a second A1. And yeah, they're expensive, but they are phenomenal investments. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, I had the, I ran FS7s for, let me see, um, over five years now that I do the math. Uh, and I honestly probably could have ran them even longer. They were good investments. Well, the A1s are so good that honestly, I bet you, you could run an A1 for the next five to 10 years because it's that future-proof because 50 megapixel stills, 8K video, that's going to be around for a very long time. And you're getting great dynamic range. The dynamic range is actually half a stop better on the A1 and you can see it. So you're getting better dynamic range. Um, you're getting great low light performance, you're getting great color accuracy. It's the most color accurate mirrorless camera Sony makes. You're getting all the wonderful 30 frames per second features and um, the, the great custom button layouts and the top dial on the left side of the camera. You're getting all these things that are going to make it a really great workhorse that you can run for the next five to 10 years. So yeah, it's expensive, but when you think about it, it's a camera that can, can do so much for you. And that's why I got rid of my A7S III and why I bought a second A1. And those two cameras plus the FX6 allows me to be able to take on any video or photo or both type of project that my clients ask me to do. So I think, I think the A1 is a camera with only one flaw. And if you are looking for the best mirrorless camera you can get for Sony, the A1 is the way to go. And again, I'm not a brand guy. I don't care who you shoot with, um, but this is this is Sony's top of the line mirrorless camera, and it truly does live up to the hype. Um, I do think that Nikon Z9 is a great choice if you're a Nikon shooter and you want something similar. You better get it fast though, and download the ProRes uh, or not the ProRes, but the uh, InRaw 
um, <laughs> update that they came out with because Nikon's getting sued by Red for that. So if you want to get raw on the Z9, you better buy one fast and download it before Red wins that lawsuit, which they will because they already beat Apple in the same lawsuit. Um, <laughs> and Nikon doesn't have Apple cash capital, so uh, Red's for sure going to win that. So <laughs> if you want the Z9, you better get it now. Um, but yeah, but if you're a Nikon shooter, the Z9 is kind of similar in a lot of ways, um, and even stronger in certain ways, like the internal RAW. Um, the the Canon R5, I would not recommend as much because of the overheating issues, but the R5C is an amazing camera that can do a lot of what the A1 can do, and 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 worse in some areas and better than others. Um, the R3 is also another great option. So the A1 is just... It is just the ultimate camera if you're a Sony shooter, and I think that for me, um, it has been a great, great addition to my uh, to my work, and to be able to have two of them, so I can have the same stills performance and same same video performance um, out of my mirrorless cameras is amazing, and I am so stoked to have a couple of them. So anyway, that's pretty much it. That's why I sold my A7S three. I never thought I would get rid of the A7S three. It was genuinely everything I ever wanted from the S line, and I never thought that could be topped until they came out the A1, and it was like, wow, that is an exceptional camera. So <laughs> um, the A7S3 is an amazing camera, so is the FX3, so I don't want anybody to think I'm bashing them. I'm not. I loved my S3, and I had a hard time getting rid of it. Um, it's just if you find yourself having to do a little bit of both photo and video, you want the best camera that can do both, the A1's that's currently the best one from Sony's Sony standpoint. So anyway, that's the that's the wrap on this podcast. Thanks guys for listening. Um, if you are interested in filming with Josh and you want to learn more, go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. You can also go to my website at rusticriver.media and click on the Filming with Josh tab where you'll find articles and, and uh, more podcast episodes in addition to some vlogs and things like that. Anyway, guys, I appreciate you listening and I look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.